We start with the deadly crane crash in downtown Kelowna. What a shocking and terrifying accident this was in Kelowna yesterday. Still no count on the number of people killed here after that construction crane collapse. I'll speak to Steve Hunt here, Western Canada Director of the Steelworkers Union, in just a moment. But first, have a listen to this report now from Global News. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard, and it shook our building. Like, it sounded like an earthquake. A crane crashing to the ground in the heart of downtown Kelowna shortly after 11 a.m. on Monday. It sounded like or a, a car had hit the building. And I felt this jolt, both on the floor and on my back. The crane collapsing at the site of Mission Group's Brooklyn at Bernard Block. A 25-story concrete tower still under construction at St. Paul Street and Bernard Avenue. I saw kind of a, a mini dust storm and it took me maybe 10 seconds or so to realize that the boom on the crane had fallen down. The horizontal boom, yeah. which is like several hundred feet long, is lying at the end of the alley. Part of it struck the south end of our building. Twelve ambulances rushed to the scene, taking at least three people to hospital. He suddenly spotted a person that was on the scaffolding for the crane. He was climbing down, I believe down anyways, he got to the crossbeam and he uh, just sat and he shimmied. And I saw a man um, crawling off the crane and he got to safety. He was hanging off of it pretty much almost and it was, yeah, it was terrifying. Others didn't survive. Officials confirming multiple fatalities and say at least one person who is not a worker is still unaccounted for. We're releasing limited information right now in part because we want to be able to notify the next of kin. Not all persons have been properly identified. Hundreds of people immediately evacuated from nearby homes and businesses as officials set up emergency support services at the Salvation Army. Many still not allowed back home. The area remains unstable and unsafe. If that structure were to fall, is about 250 feet, and so they want to obviously make sure that anywhere within that 250 feet, should it fall, it not actually injure anybody else. The city of Kelowna declaring a local state of emergency in response to the ongoing threat to people and property caused by the crane collapse. And officials are asking people to stay away from the area as they investigate. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. Okay, just a gripping report there from Global News reporter Jules Knox. Still no clear number of casualties here of authorities saying uh, they want to wait and notify next of kin. We may get more clarity on the number of people who have been killed here in this accident here later today. Meanwhile, the evacuation order in parts of downtown Kelowna is still in place there. Officials worried that a large vertical portion of the crane that's still standing is unstable and could also collapse. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest Stephen Hunt. Stephen is the Western Canada Director for the United Steelworkers Union, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Steve, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Michael. Morning. Okay, good morning to you, Steve. As a guy, veteran guy in the labor movement, I mean, this is kind of the worst possible news that any kind of someone in your position can get of, of a terrible worksite accident uh, with fatalities here. What are your what went through your mind here when you heard about this? Well, my first thought is is with the families and uh, friends of, of those that have lost their lives and have been injured, and also the public. Uh, in Kelowna, uh, incidents like this are traumatic and. Uh, Sometimes they, they cause injuries that nobody ever sees, and uh, I don't think anybody ever wants to see anything like this. It's, it, it, it's awful, and it's tragic. 
It really is a, a very, very frightening and terrible accident that we saw there yesterday, um, and really traumatic for anyone involved. Um, your, your thoughts on what could how, could, how could something like this happen? I mean, obviously, there's a full investigation going on, but I mean, are cranes, we see cranes in the sky all the time at construction sites, uh, obviously a pretty safe industry overall, but have there been these type of accidents before? There's, there's from time to time crane collapses or crane, crane incidents. But, uh, you know, one thing, one thing I learned a long time ago, Mike, is, uh, when there's an investigation on, you never jump to conclusions. And, yeah. uh, you know, you have to let the, the investigation take its course. The key to this one, and I heard Labor Minister Bain say this yesterday, the RCMP are in charge of the investigation. And that's something that the steelworkers have fought for for decades now that uh, when there's loss of life or serious injury injury to, to persons that, that that you have to first rule out any potential criminality and then you investigate piece by piece and to go back to your question cranes are regulated heavily and uh, you know uh, they're not supposed to fall it's an engineered uh, machine uh, you know so everything on it is uh, is built to tolerances that uh, are not supposed to fail so this one's uh, highly unusual. Yeah. What about the investigation now? How will that unfold? You mentioned that the RCMP involved. I, WorkSafe BC also taking a, a lead role here, correct? Well, they, they take a they take a role. The, the, the uh, what the protocol is supposed to be now in British Columbia, and this came in after the Burns Lake and Lakeland tragedies, where the two sawmills uh, exploded. Yeah. Uh, you might recall that uh, that was a bit of a mess for the Workers' Compensation Board. So, so th- there's an agreement now that the RCMP are responsible first, once again, to lead the investigation with the expertise. Uh, that's offered by workers and the Workers' Compensation Board to find out what happened. One one uh, one body that I'd seriously uh, bring into this one is the International Union of Operating Engineers. They 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 do extensive training on uh, cranes, and uh, they're the predominant uh, uh, union in in crane in crane safety in this province. So that 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 would be a, a, a I think a huge lift to understanding this from a worker's point of view. What happened and how did it happen? Right. Uh, and obviously uh, ensure that it would never happen again. Speaking of Steve Hunt, Western Canada Director of the United Steelworkers. Steve, you've been a longtime advocate and campaigner for workplace safety. Do you think construction sites in this province overall are, are safe and safe and fully regulated, or could there be improvements there? Well, I think they're fully regulated. Are they safe? The, the statistics would say they're not. Uh, there's there's a there's a pretty high high level of uh, injury and death on uh, our construction sites. Um, some of its legacy, like asbestos, but uh, but falls uh, falls falls from heights. Uh, you know, just uh, just not following the rules. Um, the, you know, the workers' compensation board, or work safe as people call it. Um, puts an emphasis on uh, on construction safety there's no question uh, so so lots of regulations sometimes it's lack of enforcement would be my uh, my thing and and the other thing michael is uh, is training of workers the right to refuse unsafe work you know the right to know what hazards you have and and the right to participate in your health and safety is sometimes missed it's in law but sometimes workers are are not uh, not able to exercise those rights Okay, very dark day for everyone involved here, and we continue to follow it closely. And as soon as we get more information, of course, we'll bring it to everyone. Steve, thank you for coming on today to talk about it. Thanks, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is Ben Stewart, Liberal MLA, Kelowna West. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Ben, thank you for coming on today. 
Oh, good morning, Michael. Thanks very much for having me. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. Let me get your take first on the accident yesterday, the crane collapse in downtown Kelowna, which has shocked your city and all of B.C. Uh, this was a shocking uh, loss of life, it appears here. We're still waiting for more details. Your thoughts, what went through your mind when you heard about this? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that this was happening in a small community where cranes are kind of a new uh, thing in Kelowna with buildings that are going up 20, 30, and 40 stories. So, we're, you know, more accustomed to seeing them up in the air. And so I was shocked. And I know the mission group, which is the builder of the building, uh, had a subcontractor in there. And this was one of the final stages of the removal of the crane so that they could move ahead with uh, starting to finish the inside of Brooklyn. And it's, uh, it's a tragedy that uh, at least four lives have been identified as being lost in this horrific accident really? and uh, hundreds that have been evacuated within the radius of where the crane still stands today. Okay, we're, uh, I don't think that that official uh, count of fatalities has been publicly confirmed. Is that what you're telling? Is that what officials are telling you? Uh, no, that that's what I'm. That's you know what? There's stories from people that have uh, unaccounted for either workers that are uh, were working on the building that are saying that they've known a couple and that there's others still missing. And the number that's being reported is hearsay. But no, officially, the RCMP and the coroner are the ones that are going to have to release that. So I, it's, you know what? It's a tragedy. It's not, you know, I mean, you've seen the video. You've seen the pictures of people shimmying back into the building. Uh, this was a, a process that I'm sure is uh, organized and something that they do, you know, every uh, time they put a crane in. They dismantle it, take it down. I have no idea how they do it, but obviously it has a huge amount of risk. Okay, we continue to follow this story very closely. Speaking to Ben Stewart, Liberal MLA in Kelowna, let me ask you about another story that's uh, shocked the people in Kelowna here in the last 48 hours, and that was this uh, video that emerged of uh, a very quick-thinking person who lived in West Kelowna uh, who saw someone with a what appeared to be a torch or some sort of fire in the bush near a bunch of houses, called the police, thank goodness, and there was an arrest in this case. And then the person who was arrested here uh, then released uh, to appear later as the investigation continues. Ben Stewart, you were tweeting on social media yesterday. You got concerns about this person being released. Can you tell me, first of all, what happened here with this, uh, this fire incident? Well, this is an interface area of West Kelowna called Glen Rosa. It's very much up, uh, right up against uh, the forest. And we had several fires in this particular community and people are highly aware of uh, their surroundings and uh, in between two uh, neighborhoods or roads uh, a person was spotted uh, kind of behind these homes and in the video which I've seen you can see that uh, the person accused of this uh, act has been is caught essentially lighting what turns out to be a Molotov cocktail and uh, it being dropped and him throwing it and then of course then uh, you know the RCMP uh, do make the arrest but the neighbors all band together to put this out with uh, whatever tools they had so frankly it's fast acting neighbors but I think that the second part of this is that uh, the person that was videotaped and was uh, arrested by the RCMP was interviewed and according to uh, uh, the RCMP yesterday they're still collecting evidentiary evidence which uh, I appeal to the listeners 
in uh, the community that have any photos or anything of uh, things that they saw at that same time to bring it forward to the RCMP because they do have to build a case for Crown Council. Okay, and then this uh, the person arrested here was later released on conditions for a future court date. You have concerns about that, correct? Well, according to the information that I have obtained, uh, this particular individual has over 70 uh, arrests and incidents of other natures, etc. Clearly, if this individual is needing other help because of uh, other mental health issues or whatever, they need to get help. But the idea of this, um, you know, the system is not working and people are so frustrated and fed up. And I see this on the homeless uh, and uh, housing file all the time because I've toured Celia Ravine and, uh, you know, the uh, uh, parks in Victoria and Vancouver where, you know, frankly, uh, people are frustrated by why it is that we have laws that don't seem to be working. And I think that in discussions I had with a couple of the former attorney generals in the province, the court system has continued to be more lenient, even though there's uh, rules within uh, the Charter of Rights and uh, under acts that or laws that exist in British Columbia to detain people when these actions occur. But for whatever reason, the court system has uh, uh, putting uh, making it more difficult for the police. And frankly, the police are so frustrated. It, it's a comment from one of them was, you know, it's one of the things that makes me want to quit this job because they can't get a conviction. And I think that it's high time that the Solicitor General and the Attorney General, who I wrote to yesterday, take action to work across the country and bring some uh, reality to this because people cannot afford to have caught videotaped of individuals doing what they were doing in Glen Rosa the other day. And frankly, just getting, you know, they catch them and then they release them. And what's the chances of this individual not feeling like that there's a need to do something similar in a few days? And that's just not right. Okay, we just have a minute left. So what kind of review are you asking the government to, to do here now? In a minute. Well, well, clearly the review has to be done between, uh, you know, the federal government and uh, the, the province, between the laws that we have in Canada, both federally and provincially, to make certain that the people that we empower to deliver the laws and uphold, uh, you know, uh, uh, the acts that are there to protect people and property are respected and that they don't have to worry that they've got to go out and catch this individual or other individuals like this again and again and again okay anyway okay we continue to follow it closely thanks for coming on today appreciate it okay thanks very much michael let's talk about no fault auto insurance now the law of the land in bc the new no fault system removes the right of car crash victims to hire a lawyer and sue for their pain and suffering Uh, Except in cases involving criminal conduct like drunk driving, limited cases. In most cases, though, no right to go to court and sue. Okay, what happens now if you are injured in an accident and you are not happy with your ICBC settlement? You can't hire a lawyer. But the government says you can lodge a complaint with ICBC's new Fairness Commissioner. The new Fairness Commissioner has just been announced by the government. He is Michael Skinner. He is a very uh, experienced lawyer, used to work in the Ombudsperson's office in B.C. Okay, let's discuss how this is going to work now. My guest is Michael Mulligan. He's a lawyer with Mulligan Defense Lawyers 
in Victoria, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Michael, thanks for coming on. Oh, always a pleasure. Great to be here. Okay, Michael, so let's talk about this Fairness Commissioner now. When you take a look at this office, like what kind of powers does this Fairness Commissioner have? Can, can the Commissioner overturn rulings of ICBC? Like how is this going to work? Uh, unfortunately, he cannot. Uh, and I should say, uh, clearly, a very experienced uh, person who was appointed uh, to the job uh, and uh, clearly a, a very relevant background. Um, the uh, lawyer who was appointed in this role had worked as an investigator for many years with the ombudsperson. Right. Uh, and effectively, what this fairness, they, they now actually call it an officer as opposed to a commissioner, um, everything old is new again. Uh, but much like the ombudsperson, uh, the fairness officer has no authority to uh, overrule ICBC. Uh, all they can do is make recommendations. So it is genuinely uh, weak sauce if you're somebody who's been uh, treated unfairly by uh, ICBC. Okay, so you got the fairness officer now in place. So let's say you're injured in a crash. You're not happy with how you're being treated for, with ICBC. You can't sue anymore. But the government has brought out this schedule of benefits, right? So, you know, depending on how severely you're injured in a crash, you would get benefits that would be automatically be paid out to you under this no-fault system. That's the way it works, right? Roughly. I mean, it's yeah. uh, the, the general equivalent of what you would uh, get under workers' compensation. Um, and I must say there can be a legitimate debate about uh, whether we ought to try to attribute fault uh, to who caused an accident. Uh, the general theory here is that if you don't care about who's responsible for the accident and you just give uh, the careless person and the uh, per innocent person the same treatment, you'll save some time and money sorting out who was careless and who was innocent. And so, you know, there can be a, uh, a reasonable debate about whether that's a good uh, general approach to it. Uh, but the other thing that the government has tried to do uh, is to... Uh, restrict your ability to do anything about uh, decisions that ICBC might make about you. Uh, and that's a problem uh, in uh, part because ICBC over the years has developed a reputation for not always treating people fairly. Uh, and uh, up till recently, uh, if you had a complaint about ICBC not treating you fairly, uh, you had a remedy for that and a real remedy. The real remedy was you could go to court. Uh, and we had a whole team of people who are fairness officers. They are called Supreme Court judges, uh, and those people actually had authority have authority to uh, overrule ICBC and decide uh, what should happen in a case. And what the government has tried to move to is a combination of this fairness officer, who's like a mini ombudsperson for ICBC, can make a report every year or make recommendations, but cannot overrule ICBC, uh, and. That, in combination with um, using a thing called the Civil Resolution Tribunal, right. you might wonder what that is. It was originally created to deal with like really tiny, small claims disputes uh, or disputes about residential tenancy matters, like you know the barbecue on the deck, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the government has tried to require uh, people who had a dispute with ICBC to either have to go to the fairness officer, who can only write a recommendation or this civil resolution tribunal. Right. The challenge with that latter option is that the people making decision there, decisions there uh, are on short-term government contracts, and so not uh, independent of government in the way that uh, a judge would be. Right, okay, now the we, we all know the uh, 
I think that's a really good summary of, of the situation that we're faced with here. Most people, though, seem to be going along with this system because it's going to be, it's costing them less than their auto insurance, right? The government says that when we cut the lawyers out of the mix here largely, we're going to save a ton of money uh, in getting these cases out of court, going to a no-fault system, and therefore we're able to reduce people's auto insurance. And people have seen the proof of that with rebate checks they've got in the mail or when they renew their ICBC premium, they go, wow, my premium is, is less than it was last year. That's not in every case, but some people are, a lot of people are saving money here, right? So does uh, most people happy with that? Oh, I'm sure that is a popular sure. thing, right? Uh, everyone likes cheap stuff and everyone likes a check in the mail. But uh, the uh, the narrative that somehow your check in the mail is a function of not having lawyers involved with the case uh, is false. Um, what's happening is you are paying less, but you are generally, genuinely getting less. Um, and so the reaction of somebody who's happy to get a check in the mail uh, may be a very different reaction from the person who's seriously hurt in a car accident and realizes that uh, they are at the mercy of ICBC and don't have any uh, meaningful way to uh, appeal their decisions um, and are then subject to being treated uh, like you'd be treated uh, with a workers' compensation uh, claim uh, whereby they can sort of organize your life and what you have to do. And so the government hasn't come up with a magic way to turn an ICBC dumpster file in, fire into a slot machine. What they've managed to do is come up with a scheme that will give people less but cost less. And that may be popular, but that doesn't mean that the system is either fair uh, or uh, will be uh, sufficient for uh, people who are uh, innocent and injured. Um, and I, I must say, uh, I get a, I mean, chuckles the wrong word for it, but the government tries to uh, avoid using the term no fault because that seems pretty unpopular. Uh, and they try yeah. to use this language of enhanced care, yeah. uh, which is uh, rather laughable because the only people who receive in, an enhancement in their care would be people who were uh, previously responsible for the car accident, like the careless person who caused the car accident will in fact get more by way of potential benefits. However, if you're the innocent person who got crashed into, uh, what you can get is dramatically less. <laughs> and well, so certainly well, for some people it's enhanced, but not yeah. for people who are uh, the innocent victim in a car accident. Okay, well the reason the government is calling it an enhanced care system is they say they've increased the maximum limit of, of benefits someone could receive if they are injured in the, in a crash, right? So they say the maximum limit has now been elevated to $7.5 million for medical and rehab services in the case of a very serious life-altering catastrophic accident. But they also say they've brought in enhanced benefits for travel and accommodation benefits if you have to travel for your care a caregiver indemnity if you need care in your home after you've been injured in an accident or lump sums for students who miss school and grief counseling right i mean this is why they call it enhanced care because they say they've right. enhanced they've enhanced the benefits available to people who are injured well you're, you're not yeah, buying that no it's a completely false narrative um, there, we have had for many years in British Columbia what used to be called Part 7 benefits, which were benefits paid by ICBC to people regardless of whether they were at fault causing the accident, right? You could be the uh, you know extremely dangerous driver crashing into people, 
and you would get some basic level of uh, care, right? Some you know medical expenses and so on paid for, even if you were the careless person. And the person who was the innocent person who was injured could sue the individual who was careless and caused them harm with no limit whatsoever. Right. Sue away. All of your losses could be compensated. Now, what they've done is you can no longer sue if you're the innocent person, and they've just raised up the amount uh, that would be available to everyone, regardless of whether you're the careless cause or the innocent person right. who gets hit. And so, indeed, for the careless person, there is an enhancement. But for the innocent person, there is no enhancement. We previously had no limit. A judge could order whatever amount was necessary to compensate somebody, including all of the things listed and more. Uh, and yeah. that right has been taken away, and that's why it's cheaper, uh, because less is available, right? It's sort of a zero-sum game. Insurance is collecting money from people and then paying it out to people, some of whom wind up with a you know loss. And okay. the idea here is we're going to take less in, cheaper, popular, but there's no magic involved. Less will come back uh, if you're the person who is uh, seriously uh, hurt and innocent. You'll do better. Uh, if you're a bad driver and causing accidents, it's sure enhanced for that person. All right, let's go. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Michael Mulligan as we continue talking about no-fault auto insurance. Lots of phone calls. Ron in Abbotsford. Hi, Ron. Hi. Thanks for Hi. taking my call this morning. Sure, go ahead. Okay, back uh, when the Liberals took over ICBC, you know, or government, I got rear-ended. Uh, I went to ICBC right away to the claim center. And I, st- I, I talked to uh, the claims adjuster, and she, she listened to my story for about two minutes, got a phone call, she said, I'll be back. So I started writing down my story. Before I even got a paragraph in, they came back. They said, you're 50% at fault. Uh, that's the way it is. We don't care what you're writing. That's, that's the way it is. So I went to a lawyer, and yeah. the lawyer told me, he says, oh, the liberals are in power. You'll never win. He says, it's not even worthwhile to lose your money with me. It's a waste of time. So I'm thinking, well, why don't we go with no fault? Because uh, I ended up paying for half his damage. And I, I thought to myself after a while that this, uh, this seems like a, uh, a scam. So you think, no, you think no fault will be better? Well, I, it couldn't get any worse for me. I got oh, rear-ended. Oh, okay, Michael Mulligan, what do you say to him? Well, uh, I guess uh, if uh, this may be an example of where people are going to be stuck going forward, uh, because uh, if ICBC is making some decision you think is unfair, uh, you won't have the uh, option if the government uh, succeeds in what it's doing. And I should say there's a constitutional challenge getting on going on about that. But if the government succeeds, it will mean that uh, if ICBC treats you in an unfair fashion, your only remedies are going to be a fairness officer who might write a report uh, or going to uh, somebody who works for the government uh, to decide yeah. whether what ICBC is doing is fair. Let's go to Dale on the line in Surrey. Hi, Dale. Hi. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm not one that buys collision all the time. I was just wondering what happens in the event of a crash. Who fixes my vehicle? Michael. Well, uh, the, uh, the no-fault system uh, will involve no, it doesn't matter who caused it. Uh, the idea is that if you've got insurance that would cover you, uh, your vehicle would get fixed uh, without regard to whether you were run into by somebody or you smashed into somebody else. Uh, the idea there is that they will save time and money by not sorting out uh, who's responsible. Benefits you'd be entitled to would not depend on whether you caused the accident. Let's go to James on the line in Vancouver. Hi, James. 
Hi, thanks for taking my call. I didn't have sure. an accident. I had a tree fall on my car, and the runaround that I got versus Vancouver was absolutely ridiculous. They said, it can't be no fault because it wasn't actually a collision. The city of Vancouver is responsible for the trees, so they're responsible for the damage, but we don't litigate against hmm. the city. Oh. Hmm. Okay, when did this happen? Uh, about two and a half months ago. Okay, so how was it resolved, or was it? Uh, I had to pay for the damage on my car. Wow. I wouldn't do anything about it. My comprehensive insurance said that it's a responsibility of ICBC because it's a provincial affair, and they wouldn't cover it, so I had to go to ICBC. ICBC said my comprehensive was, was responsible because it was city of Vancouver, and they would have to go after the city, and the city said, well, the tree's on an egress. It was healthy. It fell over. It's an act of God. We're not paying anything. Oh, Michael, what do you think? Well, I guess I would say those kinds of uh, bureaucratic decisions, like uh, sorry, you're out of luck, or it doesn't fit into any of our tick boxes here, uh, are the kind of things which will get worse, uh, I think, uh, when you have a a bureaucratic organization that is not subject to uh, meaningful review of their decisions, right? If you could just Mm. tell somebody, sorry, you're out of luck, and what are you going to do about it? uh, That state of affairs, I think, is uh, likely to lead to uh, more arbitrary decisions that aren't fair for people. Suzanne in Surrey. Hi, Suzanne. If you indeed are the innocent uh, accident victim and your dash cam can prove it, can it be used at all now? Okay, so what if you got evidence that you're not at fault or whatever? You're, at, you're still out of luck. You can't go to court. Or that, could that be entered as evidence at a, at a civil resolution tribunal, Michael? Well, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, at one point prior to the no fault being brought in, that would be very relevant, right? Who sure. caused the accident? Did you just yeah. get run into from behind or what was going on? The concept with no fault insurance is who cares? Um, yeah. it, it doesn't matter whether you smashed into them, they smashed into you, you were careless, they were, they were careless, uh, you're matter. just going to get the same thing. doesn't matter. Yeah, so doesn't that's matter. certainly cheaper and faster, but whether that's fair or not, it's another matter. Okay, Gail in North Van. Hi, Gail. We just got a minute left here. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. My question is, does this not encourage people to go after other people's private insurance? In other words, if I'm not at fault 100%, couldn't I sue the guy's home insurance or personal insurance mm. or whatever it is, insurance? Could Yeah, could you go to, like, I don't know, could you go to civil lawsuit or do you have any other legal recourse? Michael, we got 30 seconds here. Good question. The answer is no. Uh, the way the government structured this is to ban you from being able to sue uh, for an accident with respect to an automobile. So the answer is okay. no. You're just out of luck. Michael, we got more calls. We'll just have to have you back on. As simple as that. Thank you for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Let's talk about the battle of the billionaires here in the race to space now. Richard Branson of Virgin Atlantic. He, I guess he's the winner here. He beat Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, into space on Sunday. Uh, the Virgin uh, billionaire blasting off uh, to near space. Have a listen to this now. This is uh, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield here pinning wings on uh, Richard Branson. Ladies and gentlemen, this here is Sir Richard Branson, astronaut. Okay, well, I guess, you know, he made it up there, so I guess you could say he's an astronaut. Here is Richard Branson here with a message from space. To the next generation of dreamers, if we can do this, just imagine what you can do. Yay! 
Okay, Richard Branson uh, blasting off on Sunday. Millions of people were watching that around the world. Okay, let's talk to a real astronaut now, Ron Guerin. He's a highly decorated NASA astronaut. Uh, many planets, 178 days in space, four spacewalks, flew on the space shuttle, flew on the Russian Soyuz spacecraft, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Ron, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, Mike, it's my pleasure. Hey, Ron, let me ask you this, first of all. I, it's great to speak to a, a real-life astronaut here. When you're sitting on the launch pad there in the space shuttle, I mean, what is that like the first time you went up? What, what is that feeling like just as, you, just as you're about to lift off? Well, it's exciting. It's, you know, when it's especially the first time, you realize that you're, at least in my case, my childhood dream of, of flying in space is about to come true. But you, you never believe that it's actually going to happen until it, until it happens because, you know, so many things can go wrong. There's so many, you know, scrubs, scrubs of the launch that could happen. You know, weather could roll in, you know. So until the solid rocket motors light, um, <laughs> you're not sure if you're, if you're, you're really going to go. But as soon as those light, and you're off the pad, uh, it is a really, really exciting experience. What, what does that feel like? Can you put that into words like when you're, as you're lifting off? Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. When you watch it on TV, you see this, you know, white smoke billowing out, and the, and the shuttle just kind of lumbers out of this white, white smoke, and it looks like it's going really slow. What it feels like is it feels like you're in this giant slingshot, and somebody just let go of it, and you just leap off the launch pad and you are going somewhere and you're going you're going there fast and it's very obvious what were the, what, ron what were the circumstances you're flying on a russian soyuz well it's you know we have a collaboration with the russians uh in the in the space program uh and um we you know fly american astronauts and, and other partner astronauts canadian astronauts uh, on the soyuz spacecraft uh, for for a number of years that was the only way anybody got to the space station uh, was with the Soyuz after after the Columbia uh, accident. Right. And so so um, yeah. So I I was a member. You know, it's really funny because I spent the first fifteen years of my adult life training to fight the Russians as a Cold War fighter pilot, and here <laughs> I was, you know, launching to space uh, from a previous top secret Soviet military installation. Uh, on the 50th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's first flight, from the same launch pad that he launched from, as a fully integrated member of a Russian spacecraft crew with two Russian military officers. And so, you know, that is the perfect example of what we can do together when we set aside our differences um, and, and, and set aside our differences to, to do some, something amazing uh, and awe-inspiring. That's incredible. Your career has been an awesome thing to, to learn about, Ron, and, and just reading about the, the re-entry into Earth. Like when you're coming back on the space shuttle, you're just flying with a nice smooth touchdown, it looks like. But when you're coming back after a Soyuz mission, I mean, that's a lot different. How do you, how do you get back to Earth on when, you're, when you've gone up there on the Soyuz? Um, it, you like we did in the old days, uh, you know, you're, you're coming through the atmosphere in a capsule. and Splashdown. Uh, it's a, no, not a splashdown. It's oh. uh, it's uh, we, we land on the ground. Right. Uh, so right before you know six t tenths of a second before we hit the ground, uh, what they call soft landing jets fire to to soften the blow. I I don't think those are actually soft landing jets. I think they're <laughs> smoke screens to hide the fact of how hard we hit because you do hit really really hard. <laughs> oh man, that's got to be a wild ride. Okay, speaking to Ron Guerin, former astronaut, F sixteen fighter pilot. 
Uh, his latest book is Floating in Darkness. Okay, Ron, I want to get your take here on this uh, billionaire space race business now. And I yeah. know you've you've interviewed Richard Branson. What did you think I about have. what what he did on Sunday there? Um, I think it was amazing. I think it's opening up a new chapter. And the interview was interesting. It's it's funny if you watch the interview, and you can, you can watch it on my YouTube channel. But if you watch it, it looks like. Uh, it, it could have been it could have been filmed four days ago um, because he's excited about his upcoming flight um, and you know talking about opening up space travel to as many people as possible. But it was actually filmed about five or six years ago. And anybody who's been following along knows that th- this flight was always six to six months to a year out <laughs> for the last eight eight years or so. Uh, right. But we're finally there. I think we're at the dawn of a new era of space travel, where hopefully. Uh, space travel becomes as commonplace as air travel, and it's reminiscent of the early days of of aviation. You know, back in the beginning, it was very a very rare occurrence that anybody flew in an airplane, and now we don't think twice uh, about flying on an airplane anywhere in the world, uh, at least when there's not a pandemic. I mean, um, and you know, that's I, I think we we could see that um, as the costs come down. Right now, it's you know for the ultra rich, uh, but I think because of these efforts and, and, and the you know Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin and SpaceX and all these these uh, commercial act, uh, activities that are that are um, pushing the technology forward, we're yeah. going to see economies of scale. We're going to see uh, increased reusability. We're going to see other technologies that bring the price down, and it could become commonplace. And it won't just be you know. You know, thrill rides. We will be going from point A to point B. You know, maybe we're flying. You know, to different parts of the world in a right. fraction of the time, and part of that flight is outside the atmosphere. Um, and so, hopefully, hopefully that's coming soon. Okay, but do you think though that this guy Branson is a real deal astronaut with with what he did? I mean, I'm talking well, to Chris you. Chris Hatfield said he is. So he's well, I be. I guess he did, but. I mean, I'm speaking to you. You are a real astronaut. I mean, you flew on the space shuttle, flew on the Soyuz, the space station for spacewalks. I mean, you were up there doing real science in space. With what this guy did with Branson, what he did on Sunday, was he really in space or did he just get to sort of the edge of space? Well, I I think for all intents and purposes, he was in space. You know, they went above 50 miles. 50 miles is the altitude that NASA and the other space agencies, uh, the Canadian Space Agency, classify their astronauts as being flown, you know, quote-unquote, flown huh. flown in space astronauts. Um, the Kármán line is 62 miles. They didn't get to that. That's the internationally recognized boundary of space, which Blue Origin will actually go higher than that. But it doesn't matter. You know, what they experienced is watching the sky turn from blue to black. They, wa- they saw the curvature of the Earth. They saw the thinness of the atmosphere. They saw our sun in a black sky, not a blue sky. They saw it as a star. Um, right. They were weightless. Um, so the experience is going to be basically the same. Uh, and the transformative effects of that experience hopefully will be the same too because they, are a, they can be a very, very positive, very transformative experience. Uh, and I think the more people that have that experience – the better off we're all going to be here on the, on the surface of the earth. Oh, okay, so you obviously think it, this is a positive thing that's going on with these these companies getting into almost you know getting into an era of space tourism, uh, billionaires going up into space. That this this is a good thing. Now they're getting some criticism, right? I mean, Branson, yeah. I see criticism that is this some sort of billionaire vanity you know joyride 
that's costing hundreds of millions of dollars when there's people starving and dying on the earth that could use that money. I mean, what do you think of that argument that this is just some sort of Playboy thrill ride he was on? Well, I, I mean, I think there is some truth to that, uh, but I think it's it's very two dimensional and, it, and it's it's simplifying a very complex situation. I, I think that there is a joyride aspect of this, but there's also a lot of benefits that are going to come from this. There's going to be technology developments. All the, you know, that error of space travel being as commonplace as air travel is being incubated in, during, during these things. And the argument about we have so many problems on Earth, you know, why are we launching money into space? We, well, we're not launching money into space. All that money is being spent here. It's creating jobs. It's creating technology. And it's creating solutions. You know, a lot of the spinoff technology uh, is used to solve the very problems that people say that we should be diverting the money towards. Uh, and there's also the argument about, you know, inspi- inspiration and, and motivating, motivating students to study, uh, you know, science and technology. And, and um, it, it, I think our investment in the space program, all space, you know, the commercial space activities, the governmental space activities is the best investment we can make on our future with the highest right. return on investment. Um, and so I, I don't buy, that, that argument completely. I understand it, and I, yeah. there is some truth to it, but it but it's a little bit uh, narrow. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of pondering it. I mean, I'm a big supporter of the NASA program and, and all the other space exploration programs that are going on with uh, international efforts, including Canada's, to get back to the moon, for example, and the missions to Mars. I think all that stuff is awesome. I love it. Um, this kind of stuff, though, I'm just wondering what the, the value. I, th- I think you're making a really good case for the value of it, but you mentioned earlier that the price could come down like for for people who want to be a space tourist who want to go into space as an experience what what kind of uh ticket price are they talking right now with these companies wasn't it like a couple hundred or a couple hundred thousand bucks to go up yeah there? yeah i mean i think it's a it's about a quarter million dollars for yeah. virgin galactic i don't know what it is on blue origin um but yeah so that's out of the price range it's certainly out of my price range <laughs> but, and i think it's out of most people's price range but, you know, a lot of these people that do fly, that have the means to fly, you know, if they come back more environmentally conscious, more social conscious, you know, if they have this transformative effect, if they get the orbital perspective, um, I think that's going to that's gonna help. I know that's, you know, not very tangible, but I, I think it is a positive thing. Um, it, it, you know, there is some negative press around it, and I understand that, uh, but I think on the whole, I think it's positive. Okay, Ron, uh, tell me real quickly about your, your last book. Your, your current book right now is Floating in Darkness, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was out yesterday, uh, launched yesterday. Cool. It's, it's actually Floating in Darkness, A Journey of Evolution. Um, and it, I think it's, it's a fun read. It's all about dogfights and, and space flights and, and spacewalks and seafloor living, but it all serves as an allegory for the evolution of society. And not, not only where we've been, but where we need to go. And, and, you know, I don't need to tell anybody what divisive times we lived in, live in and how polarized everything has become. And I really believe that this illuminates a path through that to overcome our divisiveness and to illuminate a path towards a future that we would all want to be a part of. So I'm really excited about the book. It's been a, a labor of love and a, <laughs> you know, it's, it's taken many years in the making. I started it back in 1991 uh, writing it. Well, well, congratulations on that. I know the book is available at uh, everywhere you'd normally get books, and you can download it, too. And, Ron, you very kindly uh, got a little deal for our listeners. If they want to get a free download, a free chapter of the book, uh, they can just send a text message. Do you want to read that out, or would you like me to read it out? 
Yeah, either way. I mean, in, in Canada, the, you just text the word orbital to 855-969-5300, 855-969-5300. If yep. you happen to be listening in the United States, just text astronaut to 44222, and we'll get you a free uh, download of, the, of uh, a chapter that talks about uh, being in space and, and all these transformative effects that uh, we've been talking about. Okay, that's very cool. So the text word in Canada is orbital. So you text orbital to 855-969-5300 and you get a free chapter of Ron's new book. Ron, it's been a pleasure to talking to you today. Thank you very much for coming on and congratulations on everything you've done in your career. Uh, thank you, Mike. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. It's great, great speaking with you. Okay, likewise. Thanks a lot. Ron Guerin there, former astronaut, former F-16 fighter pilot.